Hey, this is Ryan Tucker, and welcome back to the Unchangeable Truth Podcast as Pastor Stephen looks at Romans chapter 4, verses 9 through 16. And this is a, a part two. Uh, first week was illustration to faith. This week, he's talking about the oppositions to faith. So listen along. Thank you for joining us. If you have a Bible today, please open it to the book of Romans chapter 4. Last Sunday, we continued on in our sermon series entitled A Life Transformation. It is a verse-by-verse study through the book of Romans. And the first three chapters, Paul has been unpacking some key doctrinal truth. He's been talking about redemption. Uh, he's been talking about righteousness. Uh, he's been talking about grace. And then when he comes to chapter 4, he says, you know what, we're really going to just anchor down and deal with faith. And so last week we covered the first eight verses of chapter 4, where, uh, where he pulls back the veil and he says, here's what faith looks like. And I love the fact that the first way that he does that is, he says, I want to give you some illustrations of just what faith is. I want to give you some real life flesh and blood illustrations. And, uh, and I don't know about you, but that, that kind of that does me good because it is a reminder to me uh, that the kind of faith that he wants me to have in my life is it's not a faith that I could never attain. Know that when he uses these illustrations, these flesh and blood individuals, uh, these aren't folks that are perfect. These aren't folks that have it all figured out. Uh, if you don't believe me, you can study their lives. <laughs> uh, they got it wrong. But yet, they would always repent and they would walk by faith. And so hopefully that encouraged you last week. The first illustration that he gave us is Abraham. A lot of this chapter has to do with Abraham. Abraham known as the father of faith. And here is Abraham. And Abraham continued to follow God. He continued to trust the plan of God, yet he did not know all the details. That God didn't come along and say, hey, by the way, Abraham, here's where I'm going to lead you. And here's how I'm going to do it to get you there. God didn't do any of that. God just said, hey, Abraham, I'm taking you somewhere. Let's head off. And he did it. And that requires great faith. Great faith. But he is not righteous because of anything he did. Verse 3 there, he tells us that because of Abraham's faith, God grants to him the gift of righteousness. Now, righteousness is simply this. I am now in right standing with God. That every single one of us start in unrighteousness. That means that I am a sinner by nature and I am a sinner by choice. That's something we all have in common. We're sinners, right? And so in order to be right with God, something, something has to cleanse me of my sin. And we know that is faith and trust in Jesus Christ and the redemptive work that he did on the cross. 
And so he says there in verse 3, he even goes on in verse 4, and he's like, yeah, Abraham was kind of a religious guy. Yeah, Abraham did some amazing things. Yes, he did have great, great faith. Yes, I did give righteousness to Abraham, but it's not because of anything that he did. That's what salvation is. Salvation is when I take my hand of faith God takes his hand of grace. And by faith, I say, yes, God, I understand the only way that I can be cleansed, the only way that I can have what I long for, forgiveness and hope and eternal life, is when I link my hand of faith with your hand of grace and it's salvation. And then he goes to the second illustration, which is David. And David makes all of us feel a little bit better about ourselves. (laughs) But here is David, and David, he was a recipient of God's forgiveness even though he still had to deal with the consequences of his sin and even though there were times that he still felt guilty. He walked and he received God's forgiveness by grace and by faith. And so... I said last week, hey, why why did he pick these two people out of everybody? And we really don't know. I kind of took a stab at it and I said, well, I I think it's kind of interesting. Here is Abraham. Abraham was before the law was given to Moses. Abraham was before the Ten Commandments that it is God conveying the truth to us that even before the law, people were saved by faith. And here is David, David after the law was given to Moses, after the Ten Commandments, and it's God maybe conveying the thought that even after the law was given, it is still by faith. And so he gives those beautiful illustrations, and we're not going to stop today with just the illustrations of faith, but we're going to continue on. And then secondly, we're going to look this morning at some oppositions to faith. What are those things that oppose faith? We would even say enemies of faith. Look in verse 9. We'll go all the way through verse 16. And he's going to use the word circumcision a lot of times in this passage of Scripture. I just remind you, if you've not been here with us as we've been walking through the book of Romans, when he talks about circumcision, circumcision, he's not just talking about the, the surgery itself, okay? He's not just talking about what God commanded Abraham to do with the male children as obedience and evidence of the Abrahamic covenant. It gets lost on us. He's really more talking about the religious deeds and actions and good works. So for us, it wouldn't be a situation to where, okay, I believe that circumcision is going to make me right with God. No, for us, it's going to be a little bit more along the lines things that we would consider to be good religious deeds. Oh, hey, I was baptized. That makes me right with God. Or I'm a church member. That makes me right with God. Or I take the Lord's Supper, right? That makes me right with God. Or, or, uh, or I tithe. I give my money. That makes me right with God. So just to understand, when we read the word circumcision here, it's kind of talking about good religious deeds and works. Look in verse 9. We're in Romans chapter 4. And, and before I read the scripture, I remind you, When 12 o'clock hits, nobody ever better leave this room. You said, let them sing another one, preacher. For the life of me, I don't know why you don't get as excited about me preaching as they do about them singing. You know, when Satan fell out of heaven, Lucifer, you know where he fell. The choir loft. 
<laughs> it's true. Verse 9 of Romans 4. No, I'm with you. I like, I like hearing them sing too. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For, for we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? So, so while he was religious or, or non-religious? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe. Though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. <laughs> You've never heard that word that much. Here's all he says. It's not by good deeds that he was saved. Okay? It was not by actions. It was by, by faith. That's what he is saying. Verse 13. For the promise that would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to whose are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Now let's stop right there. Now look back with me in verse 14 again. Verse 14 says, if those who are of the law are heirs. In other words, here's what he is saying. If there's anything that you can do to earn righteousness, what's righteousness? Right standing with God. If there's anything that you can do to earn right standing with God, look at what it says. Faith is made void and the promise of no effect. So you can still have faith and it not be life-giving faith. That there is such a thing as a dead, uh, false faith. Matter of fact, James writes about it, doesn't he? Over in James chapter 2, verse 26, James, all throughout the book, talks about a living faith, and he talks about a faith that leads to death. Listen to what he says, James chapter 2, verse 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. What is it that destroys faith? What is it that opposes saving, life-giving faith? I want to share some things with you, and then we're going to kind of close it out when we get into the foundation of faith, which he lays out for us in the subsequent verses. But this, this faith, he says you can have faith, and it still not make you right with God. What are some oppositions to saving faith? Faith. I would say the first opposition is insurmountable sin. If you've got a lot of sin in your life, if you've, if you've had a lot of failures in your life, then this is what you may tend to say. I'm just too bad to change. I'm too rotten. 
I, I, there's, there's no amount of, 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 of grace and forgiveness and cleansing that can cover my sin. I, I'm just too bad for God to save me. That there are some folks that think just you know, because of all the mistakes that they've made, because of all the, uh, the goof-ups that they've made, the failures in their lives, they say, well, you know what? Yeah, I'm beyond that change. I even had somebody say to me one time, uh, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And I said, well, we're not talking about tricks. And we're not talking about dogs. We're talking about saving faith. If you say today, I'm too bad to change then I want to go ahead and say to you, you're absolutely right. You are too bad to change. Let me ask you this. Are you willing to be changed? Heard a story about a guy one time and he went to the doctor and uh, he was getting his annual checkup and the doctor said, hey, listen, man, listen, you are so bad out of shape. You've got to make some changes in your life. You've got to become more health oriented in your life. Some of you are thinking, I I've been to that doctor, <laughs> right? If you don't make some changes in your life, you're going to be dead in a month. He said, okay, Doc, what, what are the changes that I need to make? Number one, you got to quit eating out all the time. Yeah, yeah, you need to go home. You need to tell your wife, hey, no more drive-through. Uh, you need to tell your wife, she's got to start cooking for you nutritious meals. And he said, second thing, you got to quit working so hard. You're just working yourself to death. It is not good for you. And I'll tell you something else. Uh, when we were talking, you told me that you just had this huge anxiety about your finance and, you know, about your money. And so you've got to set a budget. You go home, you tell your wife, we're setting a budget and you cannot break the budget. And he said, you also got to tell your wife, hey, when I'm at home, you got to take care of the kids. Make sure that they're not bothering me. I need some rest per doctor's orders. And the guy said, well, well, Doc, I don't think she'll believe me. I think she'll think I'm making this up. Maybe, maybe you could call her and maybe you could express this to her, but don't let her know that you've told me. And Doc said, I'll do it. I'll do it. As soon as you leave, I'll call her on the phone. And so the doc does. And so the guy goes home. And when he walks in the door, his wife comes running up to him, tears running down her cheeks. And she's like, oh, the doctor called. Your doctor called. And the guy's like, oh, this is good. He said, he did. Well, what do you have to say? She said, he said, you're going to be dead in 30 days. There's no hope at all. What, what, what? She had an unwillingness to change. Please hear what I'm saying today. We're not just talking about a willingness to change. There are a lot of folks that say, you know what, if I could only, if I could only change, I'm willing to change. I'm just not sure that I can change myself. If you think that you can change yourself, then according to what has just been said here, you are deceiving yourself. But saving faith says this, I admit that I'm a failure. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that if I'm going to be changed, I need God to change me. Not too long ago, I was talking to somebody, and here's what they said. The guy said, you know what, I just feel like I'm too far gone. I don't feel, I don't feel like that God can forgive me. 
I don't feel like that God can change me. This guy thought that he was so deep in the ruts of rebellion and disobedience that there was no hope for him whatsoever. Friend, I, I want you to hear me today. It takes faith to believe that no matter how bad you are, it takes faith to believe that no matter how rotten you have been, it takes faith to believe that no matter how insurmountable your sin may seem, the grace of God can still pick you up out of the depths of sin and He can save you and He can change you. Give Him praise and glory this morning that He's a changer. Hey, the reason why I do what I do, right? The reason why I stand before you and I scream and I yell and I spit. The reason why I get up every morning and I come to this place and study God's Word and spend time in prayer over what I'm going to deliver to you. And the reason why every Sunday I come in here and some of you are like, why are you so excited? Why do you get so loud? There are some of you that even say, why do you scream? I'll tell you the reason why. Because I know what it's like to be a dead man walking. It's like, here I am, guys. Here I am. A beggar who found bread. Saying, hey, come on. I know you're hungry. Let me show you where the bread is. A dead man preaching to dead people. And listen to me. If there's anybody on the face of this earth who is too far gone, who's got such great sin in your life that God could never forgive and change you. I'll shut this Bible up and I'll stop preaching and I'll never stand in the pulpit again because you're not too far gone. Your, your sin is not insurmountable. It's not a situation where God's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of did that whole redemption thing. I kind of did that whole thing where I put the sin of mankind on Jesus. I sent him to the cross. He was, he was strong enough and he was sufficient enough to cover everybody else. But boy, I didn't know you were coming. God's not up in heaven saying, oh my goodness, it's going to destroy it all. That dude down there. No, friend. You can't change yourself, but God can change you. What's the first opposition? Insurmountable sin. I think I've been too bad for God to save me. Here's the second observ- uh, opposition. Inconceivable doubts. Here's what some folks say. It's just too good to be true. You're telling me that all I have to do is put my faith in Jesus Christ. You're telling me that all I have to do is pray a prayer of repentance. That all I have to do by faith is trust Jesus. That seems too easy. I'm a little skeptical when it comes to that. I mean, there are some of you that are listening to me that you kind of pride yourself on being thinkers and you have this inconceivable doubt. I just don't don't believe that. I doubt it's that easy. I have a fear of trusting Jesus Christ. And you're like, I like to process things and I'm trying to process all that you've said. I I really like to think about it and consider and, and chew on something before I just kind of blindly accept it and believe it. And by the way, can I just say this? You don't have to check your brains in the door to at the door to come to Jesus. Some of the greatest intellectual minds that the world has ever known were followers of Christ. But I'll just say this. There are aspects of God that we'll never figure out. 
one of the best things that I've learned over my almost 30 years of ministry is this. It's okay to say, you know what, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Young preacher, you're like, oh, I'll find out. I'll figure out. I'll give you an answer. And you try to give an answer. I can remember we were, I was driving my kids to school many, many years ago. My girls were really little. I don't remember which one asked, but one of them said this. Hey, Dad, when did God start? Well, he's just, just kind of always been. Well, no, 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 everything starts. When did he start? Well, I mean, but you're trying to place God within the confines of time. And God is beyond time and he, he, he didn't start, he's always been. The other one pipes up, well, who made God? <laughs> I don't know. But aren't you the preacher? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I had a lady, oh, just a few weeks ago, sweet woman, heartbroken, who, who walked up and said this. She said, she said, I just don't understand. Not a follower of Christ. She said, I just don't understand. I'm looking around the world today, and it seems as though that there are bad things that are happening to good people, and there are good things that are happening to bad people. And could you answer that question? Why do good things happen to bad people, and bad things happen to good people? And I said, well, I mean, you know, we live, we live in a broken world. We're living with the effects of sin. The reality is, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. So if you're sitting there and you're like, well, you know what, well, you can answer all these questions about God and you can answer all these questions about faith and all that kind of stuff, then I'll make the decision to follow him. No, no, that's not faith. Faith is God, I trust in you. Sometimes people absolutely are afraid that this Christian life business is too good to be true. I want you to listen to what Jesus said. This is in Matthew 18.3. He's talking to a bunch of uh, adults, religious people. Matthew 18.3. He says, unless you change and you become as little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So intellectual adult, please hear me. I'm not saying you've got to have a lobotomy to become a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm just saying that there are some things that are never ever going to make sense as you logically try to fit God in the parameters of your limited earthly mind. But that's okay. Because Jesus said, you know what? There will not be one person that goes to heaven unless they come to me like a child. Childlike faith. We've got to be careful, church, that we don't sit there and say to our children, well, no, 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 you've got to become like an adult if you want to come to Jesus. No, no, we've all got to become like kids. Faith. Taking him at his word. It is simple, childlike faith. And so there are folks who have insurmountable sin that say, well, I really can't have saving faith. That's an opposition. There are folks that have these inconceivable doubts. Well, there are things that I just don't get. I just don't understand. If I could figure that out, then I would have saving faith. And then there's a third opposition, and it is impractical emotions. Here's what I mean by that. There are some people that are trusting their emotions. It goes something like this. I don't feel like I'm saved today. Be careful, friends. God made us emotional. God gave us feelings. There's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is when we start allowing our feelings and emotions to override the truth and faith of God's Word. 
Because, I mean, we, we, we have, and we're automatically, and I, I kind of teased you a little bit about the song and the music and all that kind of stuff, but we are. We're emotional people, and the music starts playing, and Stephanie starts singing, and she starts hitting that note, and you know, and there's some of you, I mean, I'm sitting here honestly, and I'm like, somebody's about to get tased. Somebody's going to take off running, and somebody's about to get tased in this place. There's a real fine line. We try to, you know, just, just kind of balance it. Oh, man, oh, man, here we go, here we go. And it's so, so, so emotional. Well, can I just say that there are times that you walk into this place and everything's hitting just right. I'm saying there are times that you walk into this place and you're like, the music couldn't have been better. Man, I'm telling you, they hit every single note. You, they picked out every song that you've got on your playlist, right? You're like, oh, man, that moved me today. Oh, man, that spoke to me today. I'm so thankful that I'm saved and then there are times that you come into this place and you can barely walk through the door and the burdens and the concerns are so heavy on your back you're not worried about lifting your hand you can't even lift your head I'm so thankful at those times that I don't trust my feelings. Because my feelings say you're not saved. Our emotions are never, ever intended to replace faith in the truth. What is the truth? God's Word. What God has said will come to pass will come to pass. And so if you sit there and you base everything off of your feelings, and, and, and honestly, can I just say I'm a little bit upset about Well, I'm not even a little bit upset. I'm a lot upset about this because there are folks who proclaim to be Christ followers and they sit there and they want to go from one event to the next event. They want to go from one movement to the next movement. They want to go from one place to the next place, from one church to the next church. And they're like, man, I'm just looking for that feeling. I'm just looking for something that really moves me, man. I'm just looking for something that makes the hair on my back stand up. I'm just looking for something, whether it's being that holy laughter, whether it's being slain in the Spirit, or whether it's some kind of giddy feeling. Oh man, the Holy Spirit was so thick today. I just couldn't even stand it. Don't rob Him of His glory and His majesty. He's thick whether you feel it or not. There are a lot of folks that go around looking for the feeling. It's so dangerous, guys. You don't live and walk in the Christian life led by feelings. I'll give you an example. You're like, why are you mad? I'm not. I just got to hurry up. Y'all sung forever. Yet to see the first person while I'm preaching. Woo, preacher. Go ahead. A <laughs> couple of times a year at our house, the smoke alarm will go off. Uh, it, it's not the full alarm. It's just the little chirping. And it usually starts about 2 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> Is it like that at your house? Yeah. Never 2 o'clock in the afternoon. 2 a.m. in the morning. And my wife will tell you that uh, when I finally get to sleep, which takes me, I don't know, 15, 20 seconds, I can predetermine in my mind, I'm going to sleep, boom, I'm out. But once I'm asleep, I'm really hard to wake up. But when you do wake me up, 
I come out swinging. Because I automatically think the worst. I, I think, man, things have gone really bad. There, there's something happening. I'm, I'm, I'm woke up at 2 a.m. in the morning. And so what happens is, you know, the chirping starts, and all of a sudden, I, you know, it surprises me. It jolts me out of my sleep, and I'm like, there's a fire. There is a fire. There is a fire. I mean, seriously, I'm not even considering with my mind. It's just immediately, isn't that what it's there for? When it goes off, it's to let you know there's a fire. And so let's just say that when it goes off, I grab my cell phone, and I call 911. Hey, and it lets you know now, I've got a fire going on in my house. Get up, honey, get up. Let's get the kids out. Where's the dog? Get the dog. Let's get the furniture. Let's drag it out in the front yard. I got to call my neighbors. The house is on fire. Well, I'm not going to do that. Why? Because usually it just means it's got a bad battery. If I determined that the house was on fire every time that thing chirped, then when it really was on fire, nobody would believe me. What do I do? Well, I wake up, I get startled, I hear it. And then my first reaction, there's a fire. And then I calm. And then I go searching the house to find the one that's chirping. And then I get the ladder. And then I climb up it. And then I unscrew the whole thing and throw it down the hallway. And I deal with it when I wake up. But before I do that, I walk around the house to make sure there's no fire. See, I don't let my feelings override the truth. No, 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 I want to examine, is this true? Is the house on fire? Well, the chirping's going off. It's on fire. Well, no, I'm going to look around because I... Sometimes the chirping goes off and it's not really a fire. I want to check it out. I want to make sure. It's a, I'm just saying when it comes to our feelings, we got to be very, very careful there. Because if you follow your feelings to lead you in the Christian life, you'll be led astray most of the time. I'm so thankful that I'm not saved by my feelings. If we were saved by our feelings, then what would happen if you're not a morning person? You're not saved till 10 o'clock. Right? Right? If I'm saved by my feelings and not faith in the truth of God's Word, where I sit there and I take my hand of faith, He extends to me His hand of grace. It's not by my works. It's not by my deeds. It's not by religious things. He says to Abraham, it's not whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised. No, no, no. You've extended the hand of faith and I've given you the hand of grace. And because of that, you now have a standing of righteousness. I'm your pastor, and there are days, there are days where I'm like, am I really saved? I mean, there, there, there are days where we're all like, okay, it doesn't, doesn't feel like the Lord's walking with me. Can I just say there are weeks? Can I get a witness this morning where, is God still in charge? I've been watching the news. Some of you would do yourself... A world of good if you quit watching the news. Just saying. There are feelings in the Christian life, but listen to me. Those feelings do not override faith. They're a result of faith. 
Feelings do not produce faith. Faith comes by what? By hearing the Word of God and, and, uh, and following through, being obedient to God's Word, taking it for what it absolutely is, and then the feelings come out of that. And so those are some oppositions to faith. But then third, let's dig back in and go to the foundations of faith. I want you to look in verse 17. To me, verse 17 is one of the greatest verses in the Bible on faith. Now, I want you to agree with me this morning. Before we read verse 17, would you agree with me if there's anybody who knows anything about faith, it's God. All right, the character and the nature of God. That's intertwined in this foundation of faith. Verse 17, as it is written, I've made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God. Now, there's that word again. Believe, trust, faith, it's all the same word in the Greek language. Then let's learn something about God. God who gives life to the dead, and if you want to put a parenthesis around the next phrase, this is what faith is. And calls those things which do not exist as though they did. That, that's, that's faith. Faith is when you call things that are not as if they were. That's what he's talking about. It's the foundation of faith. What is really faith? Well, you and I have five senses, right? Uh, there's seeing, there's hearing, there's touch, uh, there's taste. And what am I missing? Smell. Thank you. Smell. So, we have those five senses, and faith really is a sense that overrides those other five. Here's what I mean. There are times that we sit there and we say, well, I don't see God with my physical eyes. Faith says you may not see him with your physical eyes, but he's still there. That was the song that y'all wanted to encore with. Even when I don't see you, you're, you're working. Right? Faith or sense of hearing sits there and says, well, God, I don't audibly hear your voice. That means that you're not speaking. Well, well, no. No, faith says he's already said all he needs to say. It's found right there in the canonized scripture. How about you dig into that? You see, faith, I, I don't, I don't, I, I can't reach out and touch you, God. I'm just saying, I'm just saying these senses are overrided are overridden by faith. It's the sense that overrules the other five senses. So faith, he says right here, the part of us where everything else, sight, smell, hearing, taste, touch, everything else says no, 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 and faith says yes, yes, yes. It, it calls things that are not according to the five senses as, as if they are. So what is this foundation of faith? The first part of this foundation of faith is the substance of your faith. What is the substance of your faith? Now, I want to share with you another great scripture that has to deal with faith. It's in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. The Bible says this, Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now, the key word there is sure. We're sure of it. It's sure it's something that we hope for. And then the next word there is certain. We are certain of what we do not see. 
Every time you get in your car, you get in your truck, and you put the keys in the ignition, or I don't know, maybe you have a newer one, and you, you push that button, what do you expect to happen? The car to start. Whether you realize it or not, whether you are sitting there in your own self-consciousness and saying, well, I, I sure hope this car starts. I have, I'm having faith that it's going to You usually don't do that. Everything's fine. You don't even give it a second thought until what? Until it doesn't start the first time. Every time you drive across a bridge, you put your faith in that bridge. I don't know about you, but I, I, I'm aware of bridges that have collapsed. Sometimes that faith can be misplaced. Every time you take a package and you're going to mail that package to someone and you go down to the United States Postal uh, System service and you take it in and you wait in line because you want to make sure that you get that little tracking number. You pay the extra money. You walk out. You, you have the tracking number. The next day you take out your phone and you put the tracking number in there and it says we've not yet determined the destination. And then you check it the next day, and it's like, well, we're getting ready to ship it. And then you check the third day, and it says, well, it's in Chicago. And you're like, but I was sending it to Jacksonville. So, so you're putting faith, it's misplaced faith. So we do it all the time, guys, when it comes to automobiles, when it comes to bridges, when it comes to the United States Postal Service, cars will fail you, bridges will fail you, the USPS will fail you, but my friend, God will never fail you. That's the key. It's not just faith, it's the substance of our faith. Those words, faith, trust, believe, same word found over 500 times in the New Testament alone. So, what does it mean for you to trust God? What does it mean for you to have faith in God? It's to believe that He is worthy. It is to believe that God is reliable. It is to believe that God will never fail you. It is to believe that God is going to do every single thing that He says He will do. It's when you stand there before God and God says, go ahead, trust me, fall on me, lean back on me. I know you can't see me with your eyes. I, I know you can't hear me with your ears. I know you can't reach out and touch me, but go ahead, trust me anyway. Fall back on my grace, right? Fall into my arms of mercy. Fall headlong into the forgiveness that I offer to you. That's what faith is. That's what faith is. It's the substance that's the key, just not faith. But then secondly, let's look at the size of our faith. Listen to what Jesus said about the size of our faith. This is in Matthew 17, 20. Y'all still good? Most of you, 17, 20, Matthew 17, 20. Jesus said, because you have so little faith, I tell you the truth, have faith, faith as much as a mustard seed. Now, mustard seed, like one to two millimeters in diameter. Have faith as much as a mustard seed, and you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So, so a lot of you are sitting there saying, man, if I could just have more faith, I just need more faith. You do not need more faith. He just said a little bit of faith is a powerful, powerful force. What's the difference between a mustard seed and a mountain? Our natural reaction is, well, the size, right? Mustard seed real little, mountain real big. I'll tell you the difference. A mustard seed is living. 
It has life within it. It's producing life. When Christ is sitting there saying, you know what, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, he's talking about living faith. What we would call saving faith. What about a mountain? It doesn't have any life. It's just an earthly thing, right? And dead, inorganic rock. And so Christ is saying that living faith, as small as it may be, is more powerful than any immovable object that we may face on earth. So he's just saying, guys, he's saying today, a little bit of faith and a lot can happen because of a little bit of faith. So that's the substance, that's the size. Here's the last one. The strengthening of our faith. Faith is like a muscle in the body. Uh, now, I, I looked this up in my research, and I think it's true. If it's, if it's not, then I don't know. You can let me know, I guess. Most who are born, naturally, you're born with 330 muscles. Let's just say all of a sudden that you decided, I want to get stronger. So you go down to the hospital and you say, here's the deal, I need more muscles. Give me more muscles. Then we laugh at that, but did you know that you can have muscle implants? Did you know that? Yeah, you can have biceps implanted for $10,000. You can have pecs implanted for $15,000. And uh, I had one guy come and say, well, you know, uh, I heard that if uh, you go down to Mexico they can do it for half the price. <laughs> yeah, I got a feeling muscles will be the least of your problems. <laughs> We're not going to do that. What are we going to do? I, I need more muscles. I need more strength. You're going to start to exercise the muscles that you have. You're not going to say, give me more. No, you're going to become stronger because you're going to start working out. You're going to start using those muscles and exercising them. So, so understand, faith is a lot like that muscle. It's not a situation where you need to pray, hey, God, give me more faith. Hey, God, I need more faith. Hey, well, God, what can I do to get more faith? No, 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 it's not about that. You have all the faith that you need. You just need to exercise it. Because if we don't exercise faith, it will atrophy. Listen to what the Bible says, and we're almost done. Romans 10, 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. How do you increase your faith? How do you strengthen your faith? It's pretty simple, friend. Get in this book. Dig in this book. Exercise those muscles of faith by understanding God's word, digging in God's word, accepting and believing God's promise. By faith, sitting there saying, well, my feelings don't feel this way. Well, the world's not looking very good. I just got faith that Jesus has a plan that's greater than anything that I can wrap my mind around. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Let me tell you what faith is. Faith, faith is when you're walking along and you, you, you come to the edge of all that you can see. And you're like, well, 
I know I'm supposed to take a next step, but, but I, I can't see. Faith is believing. I'll take that next step into what I can't see. And I trust that either Jesus is going to catch me or he's going to teach me how to fly. You're like, well, that's not rational. Now you got it. That's faith. That's faith. Friend, our God does not do things rationally and logically. He does things heavenly and divinely. I dare say that most of you probably listening to me today, you, you have saving faith. You, you have that living faith. And by that I mean that you, you, you trust Jesus to forgive you of your sins, that you know there's been a time in your life where you've exercised that faith, receiving the very grace of God. Lord, I realize I, I messed up, can't fix myself, can't save myself, forgive my own sin. So by faith, I trust in Jesus, the work that he did on the cross. I, I, I receive his forgiveness. It's that action of faith that is even a gift from God. Most of you, most of you have done that. So it's not saving faith for most of you. But, but I do have a question how is it that we'll trust him with our soul for all eternity, but we won't trust him day by day? Whatever that fear is that's lingering, why won't you trust him with that? That messed up relationship, why won't you trust him with that? That addiction, your finances. I mean, I dare say most of you in this room have already trusted him with my soul. Yeah, but that, that, that life-giving faith, he says, I want it to permeate everything. Trust me in this. Now, I don't know what the this is. You, you do. Trust me in this. And then there are those of you today. You, you've never had saving faith. Again, here's a God in heaven, loves you. How do I know that he loves you? The very fact that he would allow you to come here today to hear me say he loves you is evidence that he loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus who knew no sin to take my and your sin on his back to pay the price and the penalty for my sin. Didn't belong to him, belonged to me. And yet he did that by dying on the cross. And he rose from the dead on the third day, thus defeating death, hell, sin. And he says, you know what? I'll give you forgiveness. I'll give you life. I'll give you what you long for the most. Peace, purpose, healing. Have you had faith? Hi, this is Pastor Stephen Kyle, and I want to thank you today for listening to our Unchangeable Truth podcast. Our prayer is that you have been challenged as well as encouraged as we study God's Word verse by verse. 
If you're ever in the Panama City area, we would love for you to come and worship with us in person at Highland Park Baptist Church, 2611 Highway 231 North in Panama City. If you want to learn more about our ministry and about our church, we would encourage you to go to our website, www.highland, and that's H-I-L-A-N-D, park, P-A-R-K, dot org. If you have any questions or any comments about today's podcast, feel free to shoot us an email at info at highlandpark.org. That's H-I-L-A-N-D-P-A-R-K dot org. Our prayer is that you would continue to draw close to God. And if you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, please reach out to us and let us share with you the greatest story that's ever been told. God bless.